Section 7 of An Itinerant House and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Alcohol is for the brutish body, opium for the divine spirit, said Tong Ko Lin Sing as he lighted the lamp. The bliss from wine grows and wanes as the body has its time of growth and loss. But that from opium stays at one height, as the soul knows no youth nor age. He brought the jar of black paste, rounded up by layer on layer of poppy petals. Opium soothes, collects, is the friend alike of rich or poor. It has power to prove to the sinner that his soul is pure, and make the unhappy forget. It reverses all unpleasant things, like the phonograph playing a piece of music backward. He handed me the pipe, flute-like, fit instrument for the divine music of dreamland, though clumsy bamboo. The earthen bowl, with the rich coloring of much smoking, like a Chinaman himself. Dead faces look on us, and dead voices call, for the soul then gains its full stature, can mix with the immortals, and does. When alone and in silence, it can know that time and space have no bounds. He took a wire, which he dipped in the jar and held in the flame. Strangest of all is the power of opium to form as well as repeat, even from odds and ends in our minds. There are herbs which inspire, those which destroy, and those which heal. The Siberian fungus benumbs the body, and not the mind. The Himalayan and the new Granadan thorn-apple brings spectral illusions. Why should there not be those which may cast prophetic spells? The few drops of the paste clinging to the wire bubbled and burned. He smeared it on the rim of the pipe-bowl. Opium is the power of a god. It can efface or renew the past and ignore or foretell the future. I drew three or four whiffs of whitish smoke. The bowl was empty. Again he went through the long course of filling. Though it bring dream within dream, like our Chinese puzzles, mark their meaning, for our Chinese saying is, the world's nonsense is the sense of God. I heard. I knew him from my queer teacher of Chinese, who knew French, English, and Sanskrit as well, whom I was wont to muse over here in Chinatown, as over a relic, until oppressed with thought of the age of his country, until San Francisco seemed a town built of a child's toy houses, and ours but a gadfly race. I knew the room with its odd urns and vases, fans and banners, some of the last with stain, which shows the baptism of human blood, given to make them lucky in war. The china and bronze gods, ugly and impossible as nightmare visions. The table, with lamp and pot of tar-like paste, my Chinese grammar, paper and ink. The other table, with its jar of sweetmeats, covered with classical quotations. Basket of queer, soft-shelled nuts, and bottle of sham show rice brandy, the much-prized gift.
a Lian Chao coffin standing up in the corner. The mantelpiece with Tong Kolon Singh's worn lot of books, where the great poet Lin Sein leaned on Shakespeare. Second Tala stood beside Paul in Virginia. Robinson Crusoe nudged Confucius, and Yawenth sang, and Cinderella sat on Lao Tzu. And hanging above them, a great dragon kite which would need a man to control it. I knew the Chinese lily standing in the pebbles at the bottom of a bowl of clear water on the window sill by a globe of goldfish. And beyond the Oriental Street, for it was in the region bounded by Kearney, Stockton, Sacramento, and Pacific Streets, where 50,000 aliens make an alien city. A city as Chinese as Peking, except for buildings and landscape, and not unlike the narrow, dirty, thronged streets with dingy brick piles of Shanghai. The cafe across the way, with green latticework and gilding and gay colors in its gallery. The lottery man next door, setting in order his little black book, covered with great spots like blood. The rattle of dice coming from the half-open basement next to us, the cries of stray vendors of sweetmeats. No sound of any language but the Chinese passionless drone, too cramped for all the changes of life's emotions, with its accent unswerving as fate. The only women among the passers-by shuffling along with stiff outworks of shining hair, bright with tinsel and paper flowers, and wide sleeves waving like bat wings, broad fans, spread umbrellas, and red silk handkerchiefs. Sometimes in one of these, a baby slung over its mother's back, perhaps one less gaily dressed, tottered up on goat feet, between two girls who held her up, little children like gaudy butterflies in green and gold, purple and scarlet, crimson and white, boys in gilt-fringed caps, girls with hair gummed into spread sails and decked like their elders, an endless line of dark, mysterious forms with muffling blouse and flaunting cue, the rank, poisonous undergrowth in our forest of men. I was idly aware of all this. I knew that I, York Reese, quite carefree and happy, had nothing to dread. I calmly dropped down the tide of sleep. But what was this vivid and awful dream? All in brighter hues and deeper shadows, and more sharply real than dreamland seems, without the magic touches of opium. As if looking in a mirror, like the Lady of Shallot, I saw all past scenes at once as a great whole. Against the mythic gloom of opium, everything stood out as the night shows the stars. The soul had a mood that could focus all since the making of the world, and only then knew how far off, fading, stretched the bounds of time the untold reach of the universe which we wrongly think we daily see and know. I saw into it all as a leader reads an opera score. I was unused to dreaming, being seldom alone and without time for long walks, and I wondered when my own mind mocked me with odd bits it held, jumbled and awry like my own likeness in rippling water, mostly what I had once thought of, but not as I thought it. Past events started forth, not as what I had gone through with, but as part of my inner sense, with old fancies about passing trifles, as when one, though wrapped in some strong feeling, may yet mark the number of notes in a bird song, or of bows to a tree, or the petals to a flower, as if the mind must be double, we think. 
but in my dream I learned that it was yet more complex. In the vast poppy fields of Bengal, likened to green lakes where lilies bloom, near the holy city of Benares, which dates itself back to creation, I idly plucked a white blossom on a lonely stalk and flung it down, when it at once changed to a shapeless form which chased me. Then it seemed it had been my curse through far-off ages, the frost that chilled me when I was a flower, the white cat that killed me when I was a bird, the white shark that caught me when I was a fish, in all places a white cloud between me and my sunshine. My horse, in gold armor, thickly gemmed, bore me from the field where a silk tent held my love with others of King Arthur's court, to a gloomy, raftered, cobwebbed hall where shield and battle-axe were given me, and soon I wept over the shattered helm of one who I had loved yet killed. Where silver cressets shone behind diamond panes, and dragon banners flew from gilded turrets of my castle, I waited at a postern in the wall for a note from my lady fair, but the pale specter of a scorned lover told me she was dead. Through the lapse of ages, over strange lands in old and new world town or wild, I often lost my way, but never the sense of an unseen foe. Now, at a masked ball in some old palace, where I was dogged by a white domino with whom I must fight a duel, then, in the red glare of the southern moon in the Arizona desert, through stillness overwhelming as noise, I fled from a figure hid in a mocky blanket. By huge fires I, too, waited the coming of Montezuma. I was Montezuma, held down by weight of the mountain which bears his profile at Maricopa Wells. My great white shadow flitted after me across the red and yellow Colorado scenery. In the awful depths of Gypsum Canyon I gazed in despair up at the round, well-like heights for chance to flee from it. At the royal gorge, peering from the cliff straight down for over two thousand feet, I gladly saw it at the base. Eased, I stood on a mountain top, where, as I turned, I saw the four seasons. Most wonderful view that I could be brought by a wizard of old to a king's windows. But here I suddenly found a white mist that turned as I did and strove to shape itself to my form. Crossing the plains of Nevada, it was the white dust which choked and blinded me from sight of the pink and purple mist-veiled peaks. In a Mexican mine at a shrine to the Virgin, cut in the rock where her lamp glowed through lasting night it was the large white bead of my rosary of job's tears which took my thoughts from prayer and broke my vows again it was the mirage of arizona midnights or noons and i was one of the coyotes who leave their holes to howl it was a specter that strove to burden me with the secret of the prehistoric ruins of the casa grande it brooded as a mist over the Colorado River while I hid in its depths a corpse, as if it might be my ghost. Here I could have been safe, since that stream does not give up its dead, but as a small bird I was forced to cross a wide sea chased through days and nights by a great white gull. Lost in the jungle of a Chinese forest, I suddenly came to a clearing where beetle and glowworm were sticking out a grave for someone near and dear to me whose death I could not hinder. I watched until they began to mark a second grave. Oh, for whom? But I was torn from this sight and thrust in the heart of a Chinese city. I wound through its crooked streets to a dark flight of steps which came to an end, 
no rail, no step. Darkness, before it could get quite down, and I was again creeping from the top of a like staircase. Over and over I tried to go down the vanishing stairs. At last I was faced suddenly as if he sprang through a trapdoor by a huge white form that tried to tell me something, some strange fact linked with my fate, which would explain a secret that had long chafed me. But what? I shook with fear. Tonko and Singh spoke to me. I woke. My first glance fell on the pure, sweet-scented lily, calm and fair, in its clear glass bowl, and my relief was so great that tears sprang to my eyes. "'Was it not fate whose name is also Sorrow?' said Eleanor. We were looking at Randolph Rogers' lost Pleiad in the inner room of Morris and Schwab's picture store. No, said I, kindling at a glance from her fine eyes. Fate is well named when in one's favor, but cannot be truly against one. I could master it, so could others. Man rules his own life, and need not depend on others. He gains what he strives for, and need never yield to evil forces. Then you have no pity for the man who killed another here yesterday? None. That is the worst of crimes. I respect the Brahmins, who hold life sacred even in an insect. No, heaven may keep me from other sin. I will hold myself from murder. Your friend Noel Brand does not think as you do. No, but he gains his wishes because he is brave enough to try and fight what he calls doom. That is not the only point on which you differ. No, but we are too fond of each other to quarrel. Even fate could not break your friendship? Never, I defy it. It is as good as a fortune to be sure of oneself, she said, looking at me for an instant with such approval that I was bewitched enough to have spoken my love if others had not come in and we soon strolled home. Her shy, brief glances stirred my brain like wine. Was it true that the woman who could look long in a man's eyes could not love him? I sighed with joy. It was in the gay mood which the Scotch think comes just before ill luck. It had been a very happy day. I had taken her to drive in the park in the morning. I had found her in the picture store in the afternoon. As we went up our boarding house steps, I felt that the world was made for me. As she passed through the storm door before me, I stayed for mere lightness of heart to drop a gold piece in the apron of Nora, the neat Irish nurse girl sitting outside with Eleanor's little cousins. Eleanor had glided so far alone that Siki, coming toward her with a card that had been left for her, did not see me. I watched him, thinking of what Nora had told of his skill in making melon seed fowls and carving flowers from vegetables, and of her dislike for his hue. Like an old green copper, she said. He did have an odd sort of tea color to his skin, not unlike that of morphine lovers, but I thought he looked no worse than Nora with her face like a globe fish. Eleanor, with hand on the newel, paused to look at the card. Amazed and angry, I saw Siki dare to lay his hand on hers, saying, Nicey, nicey. Eleanor's hand, that I had not yet held but as anyone might in a dance or to help her from a carriage, 
the sight filled me with such rage that just as i would have brushed a gnat out of the world i sprang on siki and began beating him i was in such a fury that i scarcely knew when eleanor and nora fled or that the french lady hung over the railing upstairs in her white frilled wrapper with but one of her diamond sparks in her ears and her hair half-dressed crying to heaven that the spanish lady stood in the parlor door clapping her hands that the german professor opening his door the italian merchant running downstairs the english banker the american broker and my friend brandy coming in from the street all tried to stop me keep back it is a matter between us two i answered them all between us two timing my blows with my words i thrashed him till my cane snapped in two between us two i turned him out between us two i cried and i flung him down the steps between us two i muttered to myself as i went upstairs to my room with a passing glimpse of eleanor disturbed and blushing in the doorway of her aunt's house she did not come to dinner the foreign boarders were shocked or excited the others amused or unmoved the landlady was vexed i was filled with shame to have spent so much force and feeling on such a wretch and to have distressed eleanor by setting all these tongues in motion about her to think that i york reese high-born and high-bred should have deigned to so beat a creature of no more worth in the world than a worm but as i told brand that night in my room i had a strange dislike for siki he was too cat-like i said with his grave hair his slyness and soft tread his self-contained cunning yes said brand our rough classes are like the larger kind of beasts those of the chinese are like rats and gophers the timid wiry alert creatures who pose on their hind legs in nursery tale pictures they look like a child's drawing on a slate i said outlines of a man in square-cut robes but that chinese teacher of yours is worse said he dark as if the gloom of ages had taken man's shape with a still motion locked behind his reserve as if cased in mail it is like dealing with a ghost or sphinx he shows the effect of inherited civilization said i dignified priestly close-mouthed as if his millions of ancestors in him frowned at me as one of a short-lived race a sort of mormon fly with its life of one night he and the chinese grammar both would be too much for me to meet said brand but they each have their charm i said the grammar shows the hidden working of the mind the laws of thought that early hieroglyphic you told me about said he of folding doors and an ear which meant to listen shows the same law of thought that our landlady has what hidden force let her have only raw coolies for months after she sent off a trained servant for his thefts we hear of their high binders and other secret societies you have not known the last of that cur you whipped Psha. i soon start for china anyway said i glad of the pay promised me there for three years and tired of roughing it in nevada colorado and arizona but i wish i wish i could have had a chance with your friends on california street i wish you had he said but never mind you will have gained the chinese language and judging by your feet of to-day the chinamen had better not cross your path was it for this we moved to this house of seven gables for this i answered glumly why did we move for we were scarcely settled 
I came to be near Eleanor and Brand because he wished to be with me. There is the cause, he said, nodding toward the window as a gust of wind swept by. People wander at the roving impulse of the San Franciscans. It is the wind which urges and compels them to arise and go. It has even driven me to try and mock the monotone of its chant. He took from his pocket and read to me these lines. The wind, the wind, the wind. Refrain, refrain, O oh the wind, from such complaining. Ordain at last to make thy murmur sane. Explain, explain thy pathos ever paining. Thy vain desire torments and tires my brain. Refrain, refrain. At last reveal how vanished ages, freighted, thy voices with their added woe and pain. Forbear to mutter, I feel execrated. Urge not, for naught impatience can attain. Refrain, refrain. At last, at last, cease all thy raging clamor, nor beat and pant against my window pane. I listen now, at last, thine eerie hammer. Mine ear hath welded for thy music strain. Nay, crouch not nigh with clank of heavy chain. Refrain, refrain. At last thy blast, whose mocking threat just passed, must feign new breath, what awful secret lane, for ages in thy realm of space too vast, for thought shall thy next startling sounds contain, I fain would flee, thy sighs constrain, refrain, refrain, insane, far-off, pathetic tones retaining, no grain of all that caused them may remain, again renewing in thy wild campaigning, the strain of bugles under Charlemagne, again unearthly voices summons feigning, ordain the death of Joan of Lorraine, again high shrieks that castle turrets gaining, thrill pain and dread through Cador's haunted thane, again low sighs no bliss of love attaining, that gain the longing lips of Lauren Elaine, mock strain and creak of hollow oak distraining, Profane magician Merlin in Bertain, complain the English peasant's ear detaining, remain to him the sad song of the Dane, draw rein, O souls of dead, who ride retaining a train of howling dogs, new souls to gain, to vain and vague lament, my thought constraining, refrain, refrain. Though rain, though sun, thine own rapt mood sustaining, of vain regret no more must thou complain, no strain to show in depths and glooms remaining, wild main and reefs that wrecked old days of pain. Disdain, deride no more my whole thought gaining, with skein of subtle hints that are my bane of rain that slants athwart mid-ocean painting, while train of shadows crosses heaven's plain. No rain of stars, no moon whose crescent waning might vein the purple dusk with amber stain. Far lane of snow, no mortal foot profaning, Moraine may lock or iceberg rent in twain, In chain of peaks where thunder clouds are gaining, Unslain old echoes rise and roll again, again, Thine incantations oft sustaining, With strain of distant bells that chime maintain, In grain with melancholy hope quite draining, Like plaintive fall of castles built in Spain, Or lane with laughs and yell and sob complaining, The train of sound is broken, scattered, slain. Regain, constrained to far and further waning. Refrain, refrain. How reign such fancies, by thy weird ordaining, Or lain amid the fibres of my brain? The vein of thought turned by thy mournful plaining, Shrill strain of days remorse and love-long slain. 
shows plain inheritance of grief pertaining to train of ancestors whose acts enchain old pain far peaks of woe chill heights attaining faint stain of ancient crime starts out amain the bane the burden of unrest remaining through wane of ages though no clue is plain old vein volcanic quicksands cruel feigning or main in tumult as chance gales constrain my brain pound set but dim trace containing made plain o wind when thy fierce cries arraign refrain refrain as he ceased the wind which had thrust in its undertone of sympathy rose so strongly that the house trembled like a boat and in the close creeping fog we might have been far out at sea for any sign to be seen of the city below us we sat in silence broken suddenly by a quick urgent knocking brand opened the door eleanor's aunt stood there looking wild without heeding him she called to me how could you why did you do it because he insulted her i stammered he has done worse now she said but what do you mean asked brand while i stood in speechless wonder i mean said she still looking at me that nora brought some chinese sweetmeats that she said you had sent eleanor but it seemed they were given her by siki by siki we both cried with word that they were what you had once promised to get for her well i gasped eleanor poor girl at once tasted them and and now life's senseless great heavens cried brand turning to me poisoned poisoned I moaned. Chased by Brand as by a shadow, I, in turn, tracked the two policemen through a network of horror like a nightmare, through the foreign city in the heart of San Francisco like a clingstone in its peach. In single file, dropping story below story under the sidewalks, we slipped and stumbled in mildew, damp, and dirt where the coolies flitted around like gnomes, where no window let in light, no drain bore off bad air. We searched narrow galleries running everywhere, often bridging each other, like those of an ant hill, and dark ways where but one could pass. We bent at doorways that barred our path at sudden turns, peered into vile dens that lined the way, and choking and strangling, climbed above ground where we scanned the thousands of workmen in the many boot and shoe factories and cigar works, hunted through the numberless gambling hells, but could not pass the old watchman with a wrinkled face like a baked apple, sitting on a stool in front of a red curtain, the color for luck, before he jerked the cord dangling near him, when bells warned, doors were barred, bolts shot like lightning, door upon door suddenly thrust itself across our path, or a screen slyly slid before us, turning us unaware into another passage. In this way, through secret signs, the whole ground plan of a building would shift and dupe like a mirage, we might at last find a group of men merely talking with neither dice, domino, dragon, or demon-pictured parchment card, button, or brass ring in sight. No copper with square center hole, no other trace of fantan, or find such utter darkness that fear seized us and drove us out. We viewed their pent, full workshops and boarding houses, each story refloored once or twice between the first floor and ceiling, and their lodgings where they are shelved in tiers. We tried to find their courts of justice, but found secret laws within our laws, like puzzle and puzzle, and all in charge of the six-headed chief power, the strong six companies, from whose joint decree there is no appeal, all hedged from us by a great wall of their language. 
for what I heard spoken was not the written language I had learned from books, and of their ways, formed by such long, slow growth that it is the soul of their past ages which still lives. It is the same Chinese who lived before the flood who watch us now. Worn out, Brand and I started for home, but on the way stopped to see Tong Kolin Sing. He had been playing chess with his friend Si Hong Chang, who left as we went in, and he packed the chessmen in their box while he heard our tale, but said nothing. His face was a clear blank when Brand asked about secret societies. I tried all forms of begging and urging I could think of. He would not know what we meant. He offered us cigars and took his pipe as if he wished us to go. His own pipe, with a small tube on one side in which to burn an opium pill. Too dear to him to trust in the hands of a foreign devil. I had not been given a chance to touch it. Brand laid a large gold piece on the table. Tong Ko Lin Sing smiled, wavered, but sank back into grave silence. Brand poured forth a stream of abuse. Tong Ko Lin Sing, bland and deaf, eyed his Lian Chao coffin with pride and fell into deep thought. I opened the door and signed to Brand to follow me. He did so, swearing at the whole Chinese race as sly fools. We were halfway downstairs when Tong Ko Lin Sing shuffled out on the landing and called after us, the English words having a queer effect of centered force when intoned like Chinese. Red-haired devils, barbarians, all of you, like bears beating their stupid heads against the great wall. Are the black-haired people not your betters? Great in mind as in numbers, did we not make paper and ink and print a thousand years before your time? and travel by a compass more than twenty-five hundred years before your Christ? He shuffled back, but swung out again to add, Do we not excel in dyes and sugar and porcelain, gunpowder and fireworks? He started toward his room, but turned back to cry. Think of our secrets in the working of metals, our triumphs in the casting of bells, our magic mirrors which reflect what is wrought on their backs. He seemed to have really done this time, but stopped in his door for this boast. Look at our silk, cotton, linen, engraved wood and iron, carved ivory, bronze antiques, fine lacquer work. We make as brilliant figures in the universe as our race colors on our famous pith paper. His grand air struck Brand as so absurd that in his nervous excitement he laughed. Tongko Linsing darted out again, shaking his forefinger at us, as if in the Chinese game of fee-fee, or like our fie for shame. You foreign devils would be wiser than your forefathers. You care nothing for the sages of old. What do you know of our three thousand rules and forms? You need a tribunal like ours at Peking, a board of rights. Going through his door, he called over his shoulder. What is your poor country, no fit for our graves? To be happy on earth, one must be born in Suchow, live in Canton, and die in Lianchow. Be gone! I had gone back a few steps and could see into his room. I heard a chuckle as his wide sleeve swept carelessly over the table as he went by it. He passed on. There was no money there. Who could have foreseen such a lecture from a jumping jack in brocade drawers, tight to the ankle and loose blouse? said Brand as we hurried home. 
he has the wholly irresponsible air of a clothier's sign suit swinging in the wind but he knows the points of the compass we found eleanor seemed to have changed for the worse and still senseless after brand left me i sat in my window too sad and too tired to go to rest i saw goat island loom large but blurred by fog like haines phantom isle faint in the moonshine where mists danced and sweet tones rang but the lovers swam by unblessed off into the wide sea eleanor and i too had touched no isle of bliss but passed comfortless into a sea of uncertainty which might widen into eternity sweet as it had been to be on the brink of owning our love what would i not have given to have found fond words even but one kiss to recall in time to come if i could not think of such a loss i lightened my room and tried to read or write but in vain i only thought of her oh i groaned if i could have had some proof that she loved me as i sat i saw in the long mirror the door behind me open and eleanor come in misty white trailing robes she looked unreal could it be i thought that they had left her alone to leave her room in a trance a thrill of joy shot through me that she should even unconsciously come straight to me i sprang to my feet and had turned toward her to find i was alone i sank again in my chair was i losing my wits no she was there there in the mirror looking at me with the deepest woe in her face she reached her arms toward me as if she longed to embrace me and looked so sorry so sorry for me did i stay with tonkleton singh and take opium again i murmured she made a gesture of farewell and half turned to go eleanor eleanor i cried a spasm of grief crossed her face filled with wonder sorrow and surprise i rose again but she made a motion of despair and left the room before i could turn did she go was she there was my brain wild my own shadow crossing the ceiling toward the door as i moved startled me had i not read of the ill will between shadows and the beings that live in mirrors mad i should surely be if i stayed longer alone yet i opened the door most unwillingly the dim hall was still and vacant i went to eleanor's door her aunt said for the last half hour they had not felt sure she was not dead but there had just come back signs of life they could see that she breathed again the doctor had slight hope she gave me a slip of paper covered with eleanor's dainty penciling i found that in eleanor's pocket she said in the dress she wore when out with you yesterday i thought you would like to read it and the grim old woman really looked with pity at me i wrung her hand and rushed to my room to read the lost pleiad spellbound by planet that i fain would spurn to circle like the forms in poet's soul like them for starry heights to madly yearn yet feel the tension of the earth's control and ever drifting seem like blossom floating down restraining stream through vast cloud spaces up and down i wheel while years like vagrants winds shift far below the stillness of the upper air i feel is like the rest the immortals ever know here i forget how man through haste and strife his life can merely plan 
his life like that reflected in a glass knows not the sweep of that among the gods has it set limits that he may not pass except he vow himself to art's long odds and sorrow's eyes of woe must some time fix on each with baleful glow more wise than man the acts of nature are the little the little dewdrop purling twilight leaf will take on to its innermost heart a star which immortals give but careless glance and brief nor heed when slants the sun what mystic signs gleam red gold clouds upon forlorn i fail forever pleiad height float downward just above the phantom realm where fame and beauty love and power take flight fate ever whirling after to o'erwhelm see rise the day's bold crown or muffled night with stolen stars slink down with slow pulse poise while moonless midnights pass and vivid on the velvet dark is lain by memory painted that sweet time alas when yet i know as nymph in dian's train the gods the stars the tides the sylvan fawns and satyrs not besides not for the goddess stag and hunt i sigh nor for my sister pleiades above as for the blissful moments long gone by in rapture and despair of mortal love this is the potent spell which sends me drifting down the cloud sea swell it cannot be i cried with bursting heart our drama is not ended somewhere sometime it must go on even though she passes now beyond the green curtain of a grassy grave the next day found no change in eleanor and found us again with a policeman hunting chinatown standing on corners while a drove of coolies passed crowding and bleeding like sheep or the din of funeral music jarred on our nerves down in cellars damp and green and gloomy at sea caves and the, and the roar of the city overhead and not unlike that of the sea up on roofs as cheerless to live on as a leafless tree but full of coolies like chattering monkeys no jungle of a chinese forest less fit for human life and through it all i was haunted by thoughts of happy hours i had passed with eleanor which came back like scenes in another life as if i had already gone down to hell dewy garden alleys with fountains and whispering shrubs blossoms and bird songs radiance bloom and sweet scent all that gave a charm to life unlike this foul quarter as a perfect poem to vile doggerel music to discord light to dark one chinaman we saw everywhere on a corner across the way at the head of steps as we were coming up at the foot of the stairs when we were on a roof bowing at a shrine with gold and saffron legends and scarlet streamers round the door and through the dim inner light and scent of burning sandalwood the gleam of tinsel and flare of lamp before us before an ugly image in one of what brand called their chop stick houses feasting on shark's fins or bird's nests soup watching a group in a wash house who play fee fee to see who shall pay for a treat of tea in a barber shop among those undergoing dainty cleansing of eyes ears and nostrils trimming and penciling of eyebrows and lashes or at a market stall kept in the window of some other kind of shop haggling for pork or fish or fowl its only stock always in the background of our scene even in the theatre watching the ground and lofty tumbling until the crowd and noise and bad air forced us to leave when as i came out last of our party i nearly fell over him tongue cold and sing 
why all this trouble for a woman he asked gravely women are plenty for to become one is a future punishment of ours for sin with men i have seen her with you she wore the tiger's claw jewelry you got through me like most american women she would not make a mother of men a wise woman who has passed into proverb then she wore black which is ill luck for body and mind nothing could have better set off eleanor's golden hair and fresh daisy bloom than the soft lace and black velvet she had so often worn beside me at a concert or play i could almost see her again with me at that thought i drew a deep sigh where is Siki? i cried making a vain clutch at tonko lin sing's sleeve but the others had turned back for me and my chinese teacher's jacket and cap of black astrakhan fur soon melted into the darkness of some too near alley had he followed us all day from mere curiosity or could he help us we went to his door but knocked in vain though we all saw a line of light under his door as we went upstairs not there when we came down disheartened we went home eleanor had not changed we could not try to sleep but sat in my room i wish said brand you looked as full of life and joy as you did the last time i saw you come home with miss eleanor oh noel i cried if i could but live over that last happy day when to see her by me was thrilling as music when to breathe the same air was exciting as wine like socrates under the plane tree he mused borne away by divine impression coming from this lovely place yes i said life was all changed my soul was no more pent by bodily bounds my eyes saw everything by an inner light which made all fair that reminds me said he of some verses from the picture over miss eleanor's piano he searched his notebook found and read an interlude tall candles and a wood fire's fitful burning seem like a spell to conjure from the wall one pictures living eyes which through returning to shadows that engulf hold me in thrall against the wall the sad musician leaning across the string has lain caressing bow but pauses for some thought that intervening yet holds him waiting listening so as if of life so near yet far on flowing some consciousness had thrilled and made him know and longed to step into the circle showing such charmed one within the hearth's fire glow my life like this is picturesque transcending what can be felt or heard or seen except when passing flashes of emotion lending some added senses over me have swept more sad more glad and more enchanting and my existence may to angels seem like that of phantom through dim vapours flaunting forever near some vague elusive dream perchance they mark me pause and look and listen in some bright moment's exultation brief as if though circling shadows oft in prison my music waits but for a turning leaf spirits in prison said i where do you think they go when first set free to another world or to the dearest friend in this that would depend he answered upon the kind of spirit that goes one like miss eleanor now do not speak of her death i cried though i have thought before that you did not like her no said he i do not but with no reason it is a mere feeling that repels and did at first sight lovely as she is 
i need not speak of her death to say that her spirit is one that would i started eleanor had come in at the door behind him and stood looking at me making a sign of caution as if she did not wish bran to know of her presence what had brought her to my room she looked very shadowy in sweeping misty robes and floating hair perhaps she was not in her right mind i was sorely vexed to have bran see her come to me i had even wild thoughts of blindfolding him while she would have time to flee what is it he asked you look as if you saw a ghost nothing i faltered while i wondered what was best to do she looked anxiously at me and made motions toward bran as if i meant to do him mortal harm as if warning me back from a crime such strange movements perplexed me so that seeing my absorbed gaze brand looked behind him what do you see he cried as he turned and to my horror added there's nothing there had he gone mad or had i don't you see her i gasped hardly able to get on my feet for a sinking at my heart seemed to root me in my chair poor fellow he said to himself in pity he has lost his wits see my boy he said to me rising and walking toward her empty space all empty space he swung his arms about him but she moved swiftly toward me still with the same air of warning me then paused and spread her arms as if to keep us apart eleanor what is it speak i cried rushing toward her but bran caught me in his arms and by main force bore me to a chair in spite of my struggles and prayers a look of despair came in her face her warnings doubled in zeal and number let me go i panted i cannot let you dash your brains out against the wall he said i made one more vain strain to leave my seat he held me in a grasp of iron what shall i do he groaned to himself and turned white about the lips for unseen i had made out to draw my pistol from my pocket and now suddenly held it toward him your grace he shouted but did not let go his hold how can i tell it the room turned black to me then i found eleanor had fled and my friend lay at my feet with a bullet through his heart i have confused remembrance of the boarders rushing in i knew the glint of the french lady's diamond eardrops and the down on her opera cloak just from the theatre the wrought band of the german professor's smoking cap and the palm leaves on the spanish lady's cashmere shawl thrown over her night robes as she came from her bed they thought brand had shot himself for i sat there vaguely asking over and over why did he do it there was a murmur of don't tell him the crowd gave way for eleanor's aunt who came and laid my head against her breast in dear motherly fashion what does eleanor want i asked she has just been here she only said poor boy and smoothed my hair something in their faces smote me with dread he is out of his head they whispered tell me i urged where is eleanor she was just here now the spanish and the french lady looked inquiringly at eleanor's aunt i turned my face up to hers just in time ere i lost my senses or did that make me faint to see her lips shape the words eleanor died just now
End of section 7.